the uh, scripture for today. Uh, there's two different sections that I'll read from. First from James 5 and then from Psalm 91. So James 5 verses 13 through 16. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and to pray for each other so that you may be healed. Prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then also from Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, and then 9 through 16. So Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Good morning. Simply um, cannot begin a sermon on prayer without praying. So let's pray again. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to hear you speak to us a fresh word, a healing word, an encouragement, Lord, of your spirit, an empowerment in our relationship with you, applied to our lives and able to help us to work for you. Toward that end, we, we continue to worship you this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've counted how many times the word prayer has been stated this morning already. That would be an interesting uh, statistic to see. But it's been a lot. It's been mentioned quite a bit. It is a cornerstone. And in these two passages, which we're going to look at a number of other passages this morning, uh, these are simply two. And uh, the, the Bible is filled with references to prayer. It's a central part of our faith, it's a central part of our practice, and it's a central part of our purpose. And so this morning, uh, we want to, to focus on the power of prayer. Now, I, I should have used as my title this uh, title of a book from R.A. Torrey a number of years ago. It's quite an old book. It's called The Power of Prayer and the Prayer of Power. Say that uh, three times really fast. The power of prayer and the prayer of power. Um, Great way to talk about the significance of this relationship. 
The Pew Research Organization uh, did, has done, they're constantly doing studies and research. And they indicated in one study that only about 68% of all Christians pray daily. That's about two-thirds of all Christians. 17% pray weekly, 5% pray monthly, and 9%, almost 10%, pray seldom or never. It's also interesting that only about 15% of 18 to 29-year-olds pray daily. And about 30 of those, and this is the one that is sort of uh, most unexpected, from 30 to 60 years old, only about 30% pray daily. And one other data piece that I thought was interesting, it, it shows in some of their, their studies that the more one earns, the less one prays. I think there's a real cultural challenge for us in that, that the less that we need God or we've perceived that we we don't need God as much, the less we pursue prayer and communicating with God. Which also says the obverse of that would be that uh, when we need God, then we pray. And when we don't need God, we stop praying. All of that is interesting. Um, James wanted to make sure that the people he was writing to the believers that many of them he had led to the Lord would continue to pray. He says, let them pray. Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? Let them call in the elders to pray over them and anoint them. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will will raise them up. Now this starts to bring in an interesting dynamic, which is, The question of if you simply put that one sentence into the mix and don't look at any of the scriptures, what does that mean? Well, I prayed and I prayed in faith. Well, we'll be looking today at what it means to pray in faith more than just simply, God, I believe you can heal me, so Heal me, and God, why haven't you healed me? We all know that dilemma. We all know the dilemma of praying for something, and it doesn't happen. What is it that is not happening? That's what we're going to look at more. Um, the other thing that, um, that it finishes with in that passage that was read from James is the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now that should mean that if I pray for something and, uh, and I believe in it, that it's going to happen. God's going to make it happen in the way I want and the timing I want and everything happens just so. God, you promised. You promised my fa- prayers are gonna be effective and powerful. But again, I'm gonna leave the open-ended question what is effective and toward what end? And so prayer is uh, something that leaves us with a, a lot of questions. But in the, at the very foundation of it, prayer is talking to God. I know there are other questions that come up like, 
How do I pray more effectively? Do I need to always pray with my head bowed and my eyes closed and, and my hands folded, which puts, it in, puts us into a pickle if we're driving and want to pray? Um, that's not going to be a good recipe. Um, but uh, what should I pray about? What if I don't know what to pray? What if my prayers don't seem to do anything? Or I just remember, and I, and I, I loved my grandpa. He was a tremendous guy. I mean, I was proud of the fact that he heard a call at the age of 50. And he spent time praying about this. He was asked by the church to plant, go and do a new church plant in Calico Rock, Arkansas. And where they ended up living, you couldn't even get to their house without going across the, the river uh, on a one-car ferry before you got to the gravel road on the other side. And my grandpa built most of the buildings in the, in the place that they settled there. And they, they started a little church out in the, in the woods, uh, very, very poor community. And he, he started this with energy at the age of 50 and gave himself to that. Fast forward years later, my family has a big trip we planned to Branson, Missouri, and we traveled the 90 miles to Calico Rock, Arkansas. We went to the visitor's center where there were two elderly ladies there, and, and they, they uh, welcomed us warmly and said, you know, we were talking about names and, and shared our names. Is, are you related to Manasseh and Mary Bontrager? My parent, grandparents had been long gone. And they said, oh, they just couldn't believe it. They were so warmed by it um, and, and just excited that they got to meet us because of the work of the church that my grandparents did. My grandpa was a, I considered it, a master at prayer. He was eloquent. It was beautiful to hear. It was rhythmic. It was probably uh, um, a more of a King James type of prayer, but it was just very eloquent and amazing. Now, do you think that his prayer was more effective because of that great ability to just have it pour out and roll off of his tongue? I don't think so. When we talk about prayer and the power of prayer, we have to also talk about the purpose of prayer. So often we want to think that we pray so that things out here or circumstances will change. The most, and I know I've shared this before, um, but some of you may have not heard this, the most important day of there were two days within a few from each other in between that I was expected to die in the hospital at Riley where our daughter Mallory now works and I laid in that bed the first day they were doing a diagnostic and had to do a a a, a, a lung sample and couldn't put me to sleep with life support 
the most important prayer that I ever prayed was laying there realizing that after two years of battling leukemia, I wasn't doing very well and this could be it. And I remember praying these words, God, please help me. It was the most sincere prayer I've ever prayed in my entire life. I needed the help of God. That wasn't eloquent. It wasn't, wow, what a great prayer. The second prayer was a few nights later when my mother was in the room because that night I was expected to die. My vitals were low. The doctors told my parents I was not going to make it. And I fought sleep that night. And I remember praying, God, I can't fight anymore. I don't know if I'm going to wake up, but it's in your hands. And then I went to sleep. That was my second most powerful prayer I ever prayed. Both of those prayers were prayers of submission and acceptance and faith that God would decide what is best for me. They were not prayers anymore of prayers of please still heal me, please still get me out of this. It was just simply all I could do was to say, I can't control. And it is at that moment where the power of prayer emerges is at the point where we give up being in control. We give up having the right thing, knowing all of the the right results that should be happening. God, you should be doing this and God, you should be doing that. Wiping that all out and saying at this point, none of that matters. I'm in your hands. And that was the moment where the next morning after that last prayer, I mentioned that everything turned around for me. And that is again doesn't happen to everyone. I don't know why it happened to me, but I all I can say is that it was purely an act of God. And it wasn't because of how I prayed and it wasn't because of any of that. It was because of God's will and his direction. So when we talk about power and prayer, we're not talking about methods. We're not talking about the words. We're not talking about uh the, the, the specific results that we want to see happen, we're talking about, first of all, a relationship that we can trust. So you cannot disconnect prayer from God's purpose. And so one of the reasons that we don't have, quote, power in prayers is because we disconnect God's purpose because we've already plugged in what results we want. And when we do that, we essentially are using prayer to get God to accommodate what we need and want. That is not what scripture says about prayer. Prayer is a powerful weapon. Prayer is something uh, that is one of the most important things of faith. And we do need to expect God to answer prayers in power. But we also need to resign ourselves to what God's 
purpose is and not simply what our desire is. In, in Psalm 51.10, you have a great verse that helps us focus now a little bit more specifically. 51.10, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Some uh, of the versions use a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. To think about that, what does it mean? Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart. A pure heart is a heart that is looking to God as the sovereign God, the one that decides, the one that controls, and the one that will manage and, and take care of things for God's purpose. And so when we talk about a right spirit and a steadfast spirit, meaning God continue to strengthen me, help me rely on you more. It is again that item of submission and giving up and giving over toward God. So there's three things I want to talk about this pure, clean heart um, that, we, that we seek. The first element of power in prayer is giving our heart to God. And so there has to be a relationship with God if we want to experience the deepest elements of communion with God and the power of prayer. If there's no relationship with it, then, then we're simply using God to get what we want or to get what we, what we need. There has to be an acknowledgement of who God is. There has to be a degree of sincerity, of humility, of submission. In 2 Chronicles 1, 10 to 12, it says, Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And here's what God said to Solomon in response. Since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had None of, and none after you will have. Now, what started there was a humility with God and a desire for a relationship to honor God. That's the, the first thing. If there is no relationship of commitment to God and one's heart is not committed to that relationship with God, then there's no power in that prayer because it's self-serving and, and we're focused more on the results of it. Whereas for Solomon, he was basically saying, I don't care about anything other than I need your empowerment in leading. You've called me to this, what you've called me to, I need you to be able to make that effective because I can't. And that's very different 
than subcontracting God to come in and fill in the gaps that I didn't know how to do. God, I can't fix this, you fix it. Instead of basically acknowledging from the beginning, I can't do anything without you, God, making it effective. There is nothing I can offer. There is no wisdom, there is no knowledge, there is no wealth, there is, there is no skill or ability or talent that I have that is effective without you making it effective. And so giving our heart to God is pretty significant. In Jeremiah 29, 12, and 13, it says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all my heart. That's what God wants. That's what God desires, is that we don't just pray when it is going bad. We don't just do the two-third times prayer. Or we do the once a month, well, I regularly pray. And, you know, once a week, uh, I actually have prayer before a meal. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, you know, and, and that's your quota. That's not going to Im- implement any kind of power in prayer. A similar passage to that is in Psalm 145, 18, where it says, The Lord is near to all who call on him to all who what call on him in truth. Now, now we're getting pretty serious here. You can call on God all the time you want, but to call on God in truth is to say, I am nothing and you are everything. God, I can't do this on my own. I can't no wisdom, no ability, but I submit it to you. That is the prayer from the heart. Prayer is talking to God, yes, but it's also posturing our hearts. And prayer is a, is, is a kind of overflow of our desire to seek God and to see God at work. And so it, it isn't that we, we want to see the actions. We want to experience God and enable God to do the work that God feels needs to be done. In Psalm 34, 15, it says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Why? Because their hearts are first for God and a relationship with God. And so many times you hear people bargaining and we've all done this to some degree. God, if you will just do this, If you will just do this, then I will. And it's this kind of contractual thing as opposed to saying, God, whatever you decide, I will get on board with it and I will love you and serve you in any way that I can. So we see this echoing throughout a number of different passages. Um, we, uh, We do not make our requests of God because we are righteous, but because God is righteous. So uh, we're called to this importance of having a relationship with God before we can see God at work in any way. The Bible also tells us that we are 
righteous, made right with God because of Jesus. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5.21, essentially it's saying we can't even make ourselves righteous anyway. So we are not worthy. And that is the beginning of turning our hearts toward God and allowing God to do what God decides to do, what he decides is the right thing for us. And the other part of it that we talk about is so often people forget to, to do confession. One of the, the things that we want to say, well, I want to get my heart right with God. Well, then where is the confession? Where is the ability to acknowledge that this can't happen for me? And so if we want to pray with power, you have to take away something that is blocking the power source and blocking the blood flow. We talk about, it's uh, disturbing for some people, but, but one of the reasons that I was very sick in 2007 while trying to keep up with the youth group on the sidewalks of San Francisco is because my blood flow was blocked. Over 90% in two of the major arteries, 87% in the third one. There was no flow. There was something that blocked. Sin is that which blocks the spiritual blood flow that makes us healthy and at one and right with God. And, and we've got to be able to remove that before we do any, anything further. Another passage in James 5.16, uh, well, the one that was read this morning, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. It basically is saying, remove the blockage, allow God to be able to move and work and speak more clearly. Secondly, we have to shape our heart. So if you want to have a clean and pure heart, we need to shape our heart like Jesus' heart. If there is a gratitude and a desire for a deeper communion, that's great. But if we aren't going to pursue shaping our lives around what Jesus modeled for us, our prayers are going to be just self-serving. And we need to be praying in God's word. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this. Be anxious for nothing. Now, what would it take? I'm just saying, if we could just see the anxiety rise up, if you could visually see it here in the congregation, if you at home and watching on virtually, if, if, you, could, if you could just see the representation of all of the anxiety visually above the heads of each one of us, what would that be like? It'd be pretty foggy in here. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, don't forget that. We'll be looking at that here in a couple of weeks. Let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. It won't make any sense to this world. Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Colossians 4.2 says, devote, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. 
Ultimately, what makes prayer so powerful is that we're not relying on our strength, but instead we trust God's divine providential care and work in, through our lives. And so when first Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, he says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So God's will for us is to grow in our likeness of Christ. And so one of the ways that prayer starts to become more effective is when we start to think like Jesus. We start to act like Jesus. We start to see the world like Jesus. We start to to have the compassion Jesus had. We start to have the pity and and the worry. We start to be able to see the difference between someone needing physical healing and spiritual healing or both. And we start to actually walk with Christ and like Christ and we shape our hearts like Christ's heart. And when we do that, when we do that, we will see something powerful happen as a result of it. And that power may not be in changing the circumstances. It may be in changing us. That's what Christ wants is for us to seek in prayer and in life a transforming likeness to the way that Christ walked and Christ lived. Third, we have to devote our hearts to God's will and to his work. This can be the toughest thing to commit to because we really struggle with letting go of control. And so praying for God's purpose, praying for God's will to be done and his kingdom to come, praying for the intervention and supplication. You know, many people have seen this. You've probably have in your at home somewhere, the prayer of Jabez. There are a lot of books written about the prayer of Jabez. He is remembered for his prayer. But Jabez only makes a very quick appearance in the Bible. And, and then he's gone. And we don't really have much more. But he made his mark because of this prayer. And Jabez discovered failures, disappointment, stagnancy in his life. And the only way he overcame it was through the altar of prayer. And this was what he prayed. And 1 Chronicles 4, 9 and 10 says, There was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than any of his brothers. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel. Here's his prayer. Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Bless be, please, uh, please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And God granted him his request. Now on the surface, that prayer can also sound somewhat self-serving. Um, but not really. When you talk about the fact that he's asking for God's blessing and asking to expand his territory. He's actually asking that God would expand God's influence through him. That God would use him to do God's work. That God would actually expand the the community of faith. That, That the original intention of God's creation was that all would be saved. And his redemptive work in Christ was to ensure 
that everyone would know that Jesus has died for their sins and for their salvation. And it is, that, it is in that vein that Jabez was essentially saying, God bless me so that you will be blessed, so that your will would be done. It's an incredible kind of prayer. And he was simply requesting, requesting God's grace. He requested growth. He requested an expansion to reach beyond himself and his sphere of influence. And that's, that's the work of God. That's what we're called to do. So our prayer has to be on something bigger than just my circumstance. The reason that I want healing is for what? So I don't have to worry anymore? Or so that I can bless others more? So that I can serve God better? How many people get their answer to a prayer and then basically tuck that in an envelope and file it? Well, that was a great experiment. That was a great healing God did. Here's the, here goes in my, my healed drawer. And then when there isn't a healing, then we, we ter- can turn and get sort of snarky and, and short with God and saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you working? But we're joining God's work in this world, not ours. And so we have this model, not only of Jabez in scripture, but we have this model from Paul and from many other of the, the uh, disciples who were going through all kinds of issues. You know, the early church prayed for Peter and they got an amazing answer. On the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, an angel appeared beside Peter and struck him in the side to wake him up. And when the angel told him to get up and put his sandals on, the chains fell off his wrists. And Peter followed the angel outside the prison doors, thinking he was dreaming. But when the angel left, he found himself standing in the open street. Peter realized God had answered his prayers beyond anything he or his friends had even hoped for. And sometimes that's the way God answers prayer, but not always. Peter was set free, but what about James? James was executed by a sword a few weeks earlier. Did the church pray for James too? I'm sure they did. The church prayed in both cases. But when the answer was what they wanted, they rejoiced. When the answer was not what they wanted, they gave, God gave them comfort that only he could give. And so there are many reasons for failures, disappointments, and stagnancy in life for physical, spiritual challenges that we have. Whatever the reason, um, we hold to the fact that through Christ, victory is certain. Whether in life or in death, it doesn't matter what the results as long as God's purpose is being fulfilled. And that in our short time on this earth, that we're able to be an agent of healing and hope, an agent of, of God's presence in people's lives. So the power of prayer, it starts with a sincere relationship with God and his desire for our hearts to grow deeper and our understanding to grow deeper and for, for God to, to take over more of my, my world and my thoughts and my influences and the things that guide my thinking. And it calls for us, if we want to have power in prayer, to fully embrace 
God's purpose and God's will. And so when people talk about praying in God's will, God's will is the most powerful prayer that Jesus prayed. Jesus obediently submitted to the Father. He bent over in tears and with revived resolution when he prayed the most powerful prayer of his life. He said, not my will, but yours be done. That's a powerful prayer. Within this context, Jesus' prayer to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was betrayed and surrendered, was the prayer that enabled him to submit to the will of God and the purpose of God. If he had not done that, if he had not been faithful, not just in the prayer, but faithful in the commitment of his heart to be in God's will, we would not be here. And so God wants all of us. He wants all of us individually and corporately. He wants us as full people committed to follow his word and to desire the likeness of Christ and to be in communion. So I just want to encourage you as we close. I mean, all we know for sure is that going to prayer with these priorities in place will either change my circumstances or it will change me for his kingdom purpose. Come on up, team. We'll close with Lord, I need you. And this this song is a great example of singing what should be our posture in prayer. If we want to see God move and work in our lives, we're going to give ourselves over to God's purpose and God's will.